Hello and welcome to the Built Around You podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you build, renovate or upgrade your home. Why is building a home so complex and stressful? Why do building projects run over time and budget? Welcome to the podcast Built Around You. So on today's podcast, we're doing another Q&A. So today we are featuring the topic of insulation. So whether you're insulating a new home or an old home, whether you're insulating the floors, the walls, the roof, uh, or anything else you might want to insulate, uh, today is the day we'll be answering your questions. And remember, if you ever want to ask me a question, just follow me on at Kieran KMC on Instagram. And so the first question comes from at Natalie Nolan 90. Um, a 1950s semi-detached house. We've replaced the windows, but it probably needs new plumbing, wiring. Uh, so unsure where to start in terms of starting there or looking at the insulation. Um, Natalie, I suppose when you look at uh, renovating a house, um, the first thing, of course, you're always looking at is, is budget um, and timing clearly as you are. Um, ideally, when you're renovating a house, you would renovate, you do everything in one go. Because if you have a building contractor, or even if you're doing it yourself with direct labor, you still have overheads. Like, I mean, whether it's the building contractor's overheads, are you managing the project, uh, you're insuring the project, you might have scaffolding, you might have temporary electrics and everything on, on the inside when you're renovating. Um, you always have overheads. So the more work you can get done for that reasonably fixed amount of overheads, uh, the cheaper it'll all cost in the long run but the more it'll cost up front and the more money you'll have to save up front or, or borrow up front or, or whatever. So ideally you do everything in one go, but if you can't and you need to space things out, uh, I suppose you have to look at what are the absolute 100% essentials and what are the, the most invasive works. So uh, if, if, if your electrics are unsafe, there's no point uh, insulating your house and having unsafe electrics because the electrics go, if you're dry lining in a wall, the electrics go behind the dry lining anyway. So you'll be taking off all the dry lining to redo it. Um, you need to get the electrics done first, get them done right uh, and get them certified, um, which you'll have to do to get them hooked up by the ESP in, in any rate. Uh, plumbing, of course, is is underground. Plumbing plumbing goes into uh, to your slab if it's underfloor heating. If it's it's if it's a radiator, the the, the the heating pipes will go in your slab. Now, in that particular instance, you'll also have insulation under the slab. So, if you're doing plumbing uh, and you're having to rip up all your concrete floor or seconds your concrete floor to put in your heating pipes, you might as well get the insulation done under the floor at that time. But um, but when it comes to walls and roofs, you could do it at a later date. You're not going to save a phenomenal amount of money by doing your attic insulation at a later date if it's a straightforward attic insulation because uh, you're putting in like 300 mil of, uh, of um, uh, a quilt insulation. So it might cost two grand, which I know is a lot of money, or three grand, but it's not phenomenal money in the overall scheme of things. But I would probably, to answer your question, I would probably lean a little bit more towards getting your plumbing and electrics right first and adding your insulation later with the possible exception, as I said, of the insulation on the ground floor, which might have to go in before you actually do your ground floor plumbing. So the next question comes from at Franny Bees 
Atlantic Cottage. That's an unusual name. Um, Hi, Kieran. External insulation looks very thick. Do you have to make changes to the fascia and soffit to accommodate it? Uh, thinking of insulating an old extension as the rooms inside are very small. Thank you. Uh, yes, external insulation is very thick. I mean, it can be up to 150 millimeters of insulation uh, plus your, your render outside that. So that's, you know, your guts 170 mil perhaps. Now you can get a thinner, but the, the U value isn't as good. Uh, it'll affect a variety of things. Um, it'll affect your windows um, because you have to turn the insulation in around your window jams and get a reasonable amount of insulation there. So it affects your windows. It affects your window sills because your window sills come out currently over your 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 external finish I'm assuming it's a render so your window sills aren't going to be wide enough um, so you'll have to put on uh, there's proprietary um, insulating window sills there's a two or three different versions available on the market um, you're 100% right it does affect your fascia and soffit um, probably your downpipes as well so downpipes need to come off you if you're lucky and you've avoid deep soffit you might still be able to make um to make it work with the uh, the extra depth there. Uh, make sure you're not affecting the vent. If there's any vents on your surface, make sure you're not blocking any of those. You'll have to reinstate your downpipes again afterwards. And you just make sure every time you turn a corner, there's probably an interface where the external insulation is going to meet something else. Uh, so, I mean, I love external insulation. It's a brilliant product. Uh, it is the best way to insulate your house because uh, your dew point is on the outside, but it's also the most expensive way to insulate your house. So typically you wouldn't do it in a new house, you do it in a retrofit, but it, but it is a great product. But it is quite invasive, like you really have to look at all the junctions. Um, now, the one thing about external insulation, if you're renovating extension, uh, if you're not doing the main house, when you get to the end of your extension, you do have a little bit of a kind of a tricky detail as you meet the existing house because you could have a cold bridge area there, depending on how your existing house is, is uh, insulated um, because you get into a tricky detail. So just maybe bring that to the attention of, of an architect or an engineer, or if you're happy to do it yourself, I would certainly, what I would do in those situations, I would draw it, I draw a cross section of it and make sure you're not creating a cold bridge area there. So something well worth keeping an eye on, but look, external insulation is a great product. So the next uh, insulation question is from at Catmall80. Um, early 2000s dormer. Dining kitchen colder than the rest of the house. Uh, three external walls. Uh, door onto the deck plus four windows. Uh, what can we do to make it warmer? Uh, a dormer bungalow throws up a variety of interesting questions. Uh, the first one, even though it's not specifically asked, uh, in a dormer bungalow, it, it's quite difficult to insulate the roof of a dormer bungalow uh, because of the dormer section, uh, you're insulating between uh, rafters, which is a tricky detail and as often as not, uh, you don't get enough insulation between them. Um, then you have the attic itself, uh, which is probably a bit more straightforward when you get onto the flat ceilings. You have an air tightness nightmare in a dormer bungalow very difficult to make it airtight um, and of course the airtight ceiling is the area that you'd be most concerned with uh, in terms of losing um, losing heat uh, as the heat rises up to the, the tricky detail of uh, a vaulted ceiling uh, heading onto the ground floor, you have an open plan living space uh, and walls on on three uh, different directions. 
Again, uh, we, we don't know whether they're north, south, east or west, um, but uh, like, uh, which would seem to suggest that uh, you may not have enough external insulation now, given that you have three external walls, so they all need to be working um, at full capacity. Uh, if it's a dormant bungalow, have you pumped the cavities? Um, I'm assuming you have partial filled cavities at the moment. If you haven't pumped the cavities, I certainly would pump the cavities. I don't know what condition your windows are in. Again, because you have external walls, you probably have windows in all three uh, three walls. Um, like, are the windows in good enough condition? Are the windows draft free? Uh, is there a draft around the windows? Uh, is there air tightness tape around the windows? Again, this is all air leakage and some of it can be fixed quite easily. Um, if the windows are old in an older condition, I mean, Dormer bungalows have been built for the last 30 odd years. If they're, if they're older windows, uh, it may be a windows replacement issue. Given that it's a big uh, open plan kitchen, dining, living area, uh, do you have adequate heating in the room? I mean, uh, you know, one good size radiator will not heat a, a big open plan living space, particularly with three external walls. So, uh, so look, you're looking at the heating capacity of the room. You might need to add, add more heat. Uh, although generally in a kitchen area, you're generating a little bit, you're generating a little bit of heat anyway because you have you have an oven or you have a gas hob or whatever. So you are generating a little bit of heat, and when you're in a kitchen, you're kind of walking around doing various tasks, whether cleaning the kitchen or preparing food or or what have you. Uh, so it tends to be a warmish room anyway. So I'm surprised you're finding it cold. Maybe it's more in the dining living area you're talking about rather than the kitchen area. Um, but that's a surprising a little bit in itself. Uh, one thing I have seen used in kitchen areas when they can be a bit drafty is uh, to install a thing called a kickspace heater. And they're generally supplied by uh, kitchen companies. So they go into your kicker board underneath the units of your kitchen uh, and they give a little bit of local heat. So if you're stuck for a little bit of heat, that may be the answer. So the overall approach is make sure you're generating enough heat and make sure you're containing the heat once it's generated. So a question from at Bluebell on Instagram, uh, a 1980s dormer bungalow, what insulation would you recommend, please? Uh, I suppose the complexity here really is uh, the dormer bungalow aspect, which uh, starting from the top down. Uh, and the trickiest part here is you have a pan ceiling, of course, in a dormer bungalow, you have a sloped ceiling at the top. Um, uh, at your eaves and, and this is already insulated because it well I'm assuming it's already insulated between your rafters but, but there isn't enough insulation there so I would advise putting on um, an airtightest membrane and an insulated slab underneath so the insulated slab will give you the balance of the insulation you need it'll give you a nice clean plastered surface you'll have to replaster the ceiling and you've already introduced an airtightest membrane so that, that'll be of huge value to you um, I'd probably continue that, um, that insulated slab right across your flat ceiling as well to give you a continuous um, insulated uh, layer. It'll also help with the, the cold bridging of your timbers down to the attic um, and take it down to the other side on the slope uh, and continue your airtightest membrane as well. So all of a sudden now you have an airtight ceiling um, on, your, on your first floor, which is, which, is a, which is a huge benefit to you. Um, you could look at the attic insulation if you only have a, depending on how much quilt, I'd probably bring your quilt insulation um, depth up to something approaching 300 millimeters. I know you have the insulated slab underneath, but any insulation on the top level of your dormer bungalow is going to be of huge value to you. Um, with a dormer bungalow, I'm assuming you have a cavity wall set up on the outside. 
It's probably only partially filled at the moment, if filled at all. Uh, I would pump that, so you're probably getting 100 mil of, uh, of pumped insulation onto the walls. You may need uh, an insulated slab on the inside uh, of those walls as well. Um, and again, when you're doing that, if you're going that far, you could start looking at, uh, at air tightness and how you deal with that. There are a variety of different ways, depending on the condition of your walls and what way the house is built. You'd have to kind of really have a look at that on a project-specific basis. Um, but I get a little bit of advice on it from BR assessor on whether you need to dry line the walls as well on the inside. Um, and then you're looking at the ground floor. Now, this is the hardest one because I'm assuming you have, given that it's built in the 80s, I'm assuming you have some level of insulation in the ground floor. Uh, if budget allowed it and you were going for deep retrofit, you would be taking out that ground floor, taking out the existing insulation and putting in 150 mil, well, 100 to 150 mil of insulation on the ground floor. If the budget doesn't allow, you may have to pull back from that. Um, of course, if you're going to to all the level of putting in new insulation and new ground floor slab, you're also going to putting in underfloor heating. So, um, so look again, it depends a little bit on budget. Um, but I'd be I'd be starting with your biggest investment on on, on the attic and then heading down to the walls, getting as much as you can onto them and then taking a view on the floors. The next question is from Sinead Murphy. If a wrap is needed plus an extension, which should you do first or does it matter? Uh, so what I'm assuming here now is that you are uh, externally insulating or using a wrap insulation, as they call it, um, on your house and you're building an extension, which would you do first? Uh, I've built a lot of extensions in my time and what I always like when you're building an extension you get to a stage where you cert, you have to align parts of the extension building process with the house so you're tying in your electrics which isn't a huge deal you're tying in your heating which is a significant issue uh, and you're tying um, from a trade point of view then you're trying to plaster both of them at the same time because um, your, your drying times are aligned then even though at the end it won't really matter um, I would like to be building the extension at the same time as the house and then if you want to externally insulate it afterwards I would do it that way because it's from a direct labour point of view if that's the way you're looking at it it's easier to bring on an external insulation out because they're just, they're kind of set up for a direct labour project because people often get their house externally insulated without ever you know bring on a building contractor to, to manage it so the, the, these outfits are kind of available on a one-stop shop basis um, but you, your builder or whoever is building your uh, extension would want to know that there's external insulation coming as well because, uh, for example, if it's an unusual, if, if you aren't using external insulation on the extension, you'd want to make sure that all the junction areas are designed to, with the depth of external insulation in mind. Uh, if you are using external insulation on the extension, clearly you're doing it all in one go. So it, it's, it's, it really kind of depends a little bit on the specifics. Sometimes people build extensions and they're unusual extensions with zinc and timber cladding and whatever. But again, the important thing is that you, the, whoever's building extension knows that the external insulation is coming. Ideally, you do it in all in one go because, again, your, your, your prelim overheads will be sitting over the two projects happening in one go. In the long run, it'll be cheaper and an awful lot less hard tech. But again, it really depends on your budget as well and what money is available. And the next question is from Anne Fitzgerald. Um, retrofitting a 1970s bungalow with air to water or just insulate to the highest level? 
Very hard question to answer, Anne, without knowing your budget, because if the budget isn't an issue, and that's never the case, in an ideal world, um, if you're retrofitting uh, a 1970s bungalow, you would start by putting in air to water because it is a very significant cost. Um, but if you're insulating to the very highest level, your I'm assuming your air tightness level is also going to be the very highest highest level. You've done about two thirds of the work that you need done with your envelope, which is the important thing, uh, for an air to water system. So there's no point going to all that hassle and not fitting an air to water system and, and all that expense. Um, and it's, you know, carrying on with a, a gas or oil system, which okay, people are lo- most people are still using a gas or oil system today, apart from people in new or recently refurbished houses, but Look, we all see where gas and oil heating bills are going and they're not great for the environment. So, look, eventually they will be phased out and um, they're already phased out. They're, they're already uh, largely phased out on new bills anyway. So I'd hate to see you go uh, to all that expense and not go for the air to water. Uh, unfortunately, the, if you go for the air to water, you're automatically ticking the box of uh, bringing on a very high level of, of insulation to the external envelope of your building. Because otherwise the air to water system just pretty much won't work or else it'll cost you a small fortune to run it uh you might take the view that you could try that for a year or two until you could afford the insulation but look you're, you're looking at a big project here i personally i really think you should just try and get your hands on a little bit more budget and do it right day one if you can at all and the next question is from liam O'Shocknessy. Uh, a single story extension in the living room um a flat roof the best way to insulate the roof uh, okay, Liam, this sounds like a very simple question, uh, but it's a very important answer, I can tell you. Uh, there are two ways to insulate a flat roof. One is called a warm roof and one is called a cold roof. A cold roof is a little bit cheaper where you insulate between the joists of the roof. You leave an air gap above the joists uh, to, to ventilate the um, the the dew point uh, on top of the insulation, it's an extremely important aspect of a cold roof. The ventilation and cross ventilation of that dew point, and then you put your roof surface uh, above the plywood on top. Uh, if this goes wrong, it is a disaster, and the roof will actually rot uh, because you will get condensation build up within the roof, and it causes all kinds of decay, and the roof will eventually fail. So it's extremely important uh, to get right. It's extremely important to get it detailed, and it costs less than a warm roof. However, I would advise if you can at all use a warm roof. They're a little bit higher, so it may not work when you when you are designing your extension and you've got a key in with local finishes on the existing house. Uh, and they do cost a little bit more, but it's a much more robust design. What you're doing here is you have your roof joists, you have a, a plywood deck on top of the joist, you have no insulation anywhere here now, and the insulation goes on top of the joists. And you have your single ply membrane or a fiberglass membrane or a paralon membrane or whatever you're using above the insulation. Uh, this is called a warm roof. Uh, it doesn't need a ventilation because your dew point is actually on the very top surface of the roof, which is now is the outer surface. So the wind blows away any condensation. Uh, costs a little bit more, is a little bit higher, but it's they're much more simple to build. Uh, they kind of can't go wrong. Um, so if you can at all, use a warm roof. So I hope you found this uh, question and answer session on insulation uh, uh, valuable. Um, 
I mean, what I, I put out this, um, the Q&A uh, shout out on Instagram and I must have got 40 questions. I mean, and it, it goes on and on and on. Of course, insulation in, in today's climate is, OK, it's gone up an awful lot in price with, with inflation. But it is, it's a one-off payment and, of course, your heating bills, you're hedging your heating bills forever. I mean, the better your insulation, the less heat you need because any heat you're generating, uh, you're, you're, you're keeping most of it in your house. So insulation is a great investment if you can afford it at all in a renovation project. It's a great investment because it doesn't make the house look any better and it probably makes the house in a fraction smaller on the inside if you're, uh, if you're dry lining. But, of course, your heating bills are going down forever uh, and that, that's a massive investment um, because I mean, there, there's no other investment I know that you've put money into it. You're guaranteed a return, but you're guaranteed a return on investment uh, on insulation. So it is a great investment. Uh, so well worth keeping in mind, and uh, and and certainly um, one of the top things you should be one of the top boxes you should be ticking in your in your new home renovation. So uh, I hope this uh, particular podcast, this Q&A was of value to you. Uh, remember, if you're enjoying these podcasts, wherever you listen to them, please give us a, a star rating. Um, and don't forget, we're also on YouTube on the Built Around You YouTube channel. Um, I hope you found it of value and looking forward to speaking to you next Sunday at 8 p.m. on the Built Around You podcast. See you then. Mm-hmm.